Welcome to this podcast series on neo-charismatic leadership with author, leadership expert and coach, Dr. Gada Angawi and executive leader, Martin Headley, where they will both explore the recently published book, Neo-Charismatic Leadership and the coaching topics it covers. Welcome again to another episode where we discuss more new charismatic roles on an organizational level. Our last two episodes, we covered role six of taking personal risks. And today we will focus on role seven in stage three of devising means to achieve the vision, which is unconventional leadership behavior. What does it mean? How does a leader act this role and where? Why is it important or what does it do in the process of transformation? And finally, how can we do that in an ethical, moral way? Remember, we are in a leadership journey to transform an organization or a specific part of it on a large scale. And we are discussing this only from a leadership behavioral perspective, although we do cover other details in the context. Got it. There's so much information coming out here that man, much of it is going to be different. People are not expecting it. When I first looked at the issue of unconventional behavior with leaders, I got a lot of pushback from some of the people I was mentoring because yeah, they said, oh, no, no, the leader must be stable. The leader must be consistent. And, you know, that's how they build integrity and we want to follow them. And I said, that is true. But of course, if you do that, you end up after a short period of time with a status quo. And leadership doesn't like status quo. So how do you avoid getting stale? So I would be really interested to find out what your definition of unconventionality means in terms of leadership. Yeah, sure. Let me go back to Conger and Kanongo original research and their book, Charismatic Leadership, which was published in 1998, where they laid the ground for new charismatic theory and crafted the model I have based my research on. The two scholars had the two roles merged together. They called it taking personal risks and unconventional behavior. I guess for them, it all related to acting in a surprising way to their followers. But digging deeper, as I did my research, I found that the two are different, nevertheless related, mainly because taking personal risks does sound very unconventional when it is least expected of leaders, especially that the time when this research was done in the early 90s, especially that the business context was very traditional in many ways, that if a leader came out of the blue and broke a rule or two, it became the talk of the town. Thus, we are labeled unconventional or the leaders are labeled unconventional, if not defying the norms. And when they are unconventional, they look as if they are taking personal risks because they are. They are exposing themselves to criticism and maybe in extreme cases, loss of their leadership position and the job in general. As in one of my research cases, one leader has encountered this uh, incident. While nowadays it's more of the usual to stand your position and be brave in expression, in expressing what you think, no matter what your leadership rank in the organization. So there is a connection, as we explained earlier, between challenging the status quo 
and taking personal risks, challenging the status quo, which is role number three in the first stage, and taking personal risks, which is role number six in this stage, devising means to achieve the vision. But unconventionality has an enhanced further meaning to it in the world of millennials, I'd say, because it's a new context, right? Which we are going to explore today. I found that taking personal risk may seem unconventional. After a while, people get used to a leader being a risk-taking person, and it ceases to surprise them anymore. Thus, it is important to be unconventional regardless of being risk-taking or not. As you, the leader, continue to surprise your followers through your daily decisions and actions. So this is how I see it. Unconventional is defined in the literature as a leader's behavior that is perceived as noble and surprising by followers. The perception of the behavior as noble alludes to the perception that the behavior is original, authentic, or new. The surprising component captures the unexpected element of unconventional behavior, leading to a paradigm shift or a change of perspective from the follower's side. This is really good because first, the leader attracts the follower's attention in the moment and role models what needs to be done, the right thing to do, regardless of the hierarchy or the power context or the rules, if I may say which I hate to break, but sometimes breaking rules that are not written in stones, they're just rules. They're there to facilitate the organizational effectiveness and success. But if a situation demands that the leader acts unconventionally, breaking specific rules, not ethical rules, definitely, that is where unconventionality happens. So what happens with the followers, they perceive the new role model, they learn, and they are transformed in how they problem solve, how effective they are, and how they communicate with each other in the moment. So nowadays, we live in a vocal world, and there isn't enough time sometimes to strategize in the moment what needs to be done or follow the rules. Sometimes a leader needs to be very unconventional. So this is how I see it. Okay, that's that's really interesting because as I was preparing for this, I thought about several examples, not only from my own leadership style, but also some of the other major leaders that I've uh, worked with and worked under for many years. And I found some of the reasons for unconventional behavior usually fit into two areas. One was a sort of procedural reason for doing it. And another one was a more human reason. But if I go through some examples with you, I think this will help bring the subject to life for our listeners in practical terms. So the first one, the the first approach that I've seen to unconventional leadership is, is simply surprising somebody. So you're intrigued by the idea they come up with. So let's say, for example, you're the leader of a division or even the leader of a company and somebody on your team comes up with a very unconventional idea and they're thinking, oh, you know, the boss isn't going to go for this. But in fact, The boss just gives it five minutes thought and says, well, yeah, absolutely. Give it a shot. Let's see what happens. And it's sort of that unexpectedness about that particular kind of conversation that empowers people tremendously. And they say, oh, my goodness, the, you know, the boss really, (laughs) really wants me to do this. Okay. And what happens now is the adrenaline flows and the creative juices flow. And this is where something completely new comes up. Would that be a great example of unconventional behavior? 
Yes, exactly. And I was thinking about the same examples because people don't expect leaders to engage that quickly. The traditional way is you, you know, you put a proposal in, you give it a thought, it goes away for a few days, and then the leader comes with a response of like, we'll explore this further. This is how things are usually done conventionally. But unconventionality requires a leader to be agile, to be innovative, to be uh, responsive, and to be communicative in the moment. That doesn't mean the decisions are not well-researched or well-assessed. It just means they're able to, to give themselves in the moment to be there for their followers and engage with them. True, very true. Thank you for the example. Okay, so in fact, there was one very specific case I can remember, and this is where somebody had made what we all thought was a bit of a crazy suggestion. And the boss did say, yes, okay, go ahead and do that. And afterwards, we were concerned and we said, well, we were pretty certain this isn't going to work. You know, the analysis says it won't work. And the boss said, yes, I agree with you. I don't think it will. but..." It's a great learning opportunity for this individual because they're now going to learn a lot about the whole issue and the whole project. And they'll probably come back with their own understanding of why it won't work. And he said, but then again, they might come back with a solution. We can never tell. Yeah. Right. You never know. Give it a go and try. One of the examples that I have also witnessed is the leader is not expected to behave in a specific way. Say they're traveling together and the leader is expected to be in first class, but he surprises everybody else in his senior leadership team and takes the economy class where he is with other employees who are not in the leadership team. And that in itself sends a message to the rest of the team that the leader is willing to go towards being humble, towards engaging with uh, other people, other employees, having a shoulder-to-shoulder training courses with ordinary people from the organization was one thing I witnessed in another organization. So engaging in activities that you're not expected to engage in as a leader, showing empathy. Stopping in the corridor and, and greeting someone, you know, and having a conversation with them. These kind of gestures, they're very unconventional, in my opinion. Shortening a meeting because you wanted the leadership team to engage together rather than just going through the formal business to business, asking them to engage in a specific activity that helps them just to talk to each other as human beings, where you stop the, the conventionality of daily work. Yes, the spontaneity, as I like to call it, it is a very strong aspect of an unconventional leader. When you sort of sit in a meeting and, and you, obviously you're listening to what's going on in the meeting, but you're reading the body language and you see everybody in the meeting is somewhat slumped and a little, little reserved. And, and you don't really think that everybody's bringing their full game into play. So that's when you do want to shake things up and shaking anything up, there's always a risk, right? But in many cases, the reward is going to be much better than not trying it in the first place. So I can think of situations where, as you say, a meeting has been shortened in order to do something fun at the end, which was completely unexpected. I've seen several leaders do that, but possibly the most significant way I've seen it is when a leader has simply taken the entire team and said, I'm going to shake up the entire company or I'm going to shake up the entire industry, all of a sudden, everybody is suddenly 
on the edge of their seat going, oh my goodness, what's coming next, right? And it's just the idea that you've already become unconventional, that you've given everybody permission to become excited again. Okay, so then you announce what it is you're going to do. And literally you watch the engagement uh, after that. And so sometimes just the idea of, of shaking something up can be really good to keep people on top of the game, to keep all of the ideas totally fresh and creative. And again, avoid slipping into that status quo, which for any organization is is death if you let it go too long. Yeah, we can't really tell every leader what they're supposed to be doing to become unconventional, but we can ask you specific questions that helps you examine your context because what is conventional in one context might not be conventional in another context. And this is where things can become different. I think this is where coaching is important, coaching the unconventionality. The unconventionality itself requires you to be unconventional in the ways you think, like you think out of the box, you think creatively. And it means that I, as a coach, I can challenge you and see where this is going and help you come up with ideas in specific moments in your you know, situation where you're facing the challenges that will help you break that cycle, vicious cycle. Yes, very good. I like to coach people and say, it's like you have a toolbox of unconventional activities and you carry it around with you just in case. You know, so you might carry it around in your car or you might carry it around in your briefcase, whatever it happens to be. And then when you see a situation where you can use one of these tools, it's great to use it, but you cannot overuse it because, of course, when you start creating unconventional behavior and activities constantly, then you're going to end up with a sort of anarchic situation in the organization and that's going to be destructive. So a funny exchange happened with with me and one of my mentors many years ago. And I said, okay, so in a big organization, you know, and I was talking maybe a hundred thousand people working in the organization. In a big organization, you know, if you're unconventional 10% of the time and conventional 90% of the time, you're not really going to disturb anything, but that 10% should be enough to keep the juices flowing. And she said, yes, that's true. And I said, okay, so if you're an entrepreneurial organization, your very existence is trying to shake something up. Maybe it's an industry, for example. So perhaps 70% is unconventional and only 30% is stable. And then she made a joke and she said, yes, wouldn't it be nice if we could have a chart where you could put the size of the company in one end and it will tell you what percentage conventionality you have and what percentage unconventional. And we did laugh about it. But in my work as a coach, I've realized that wasn't such a crazy idea because if you understand it's a sliding scale and there is never an absolute position on that scale, you've got to think of the context of your organization and the readiness of your people to accept something like this. And you can use unconventional techniques either to, as I say, shake up the entire organization or simply to show your approachability to maybe make a joke that's that you don't normally do or as i saw one leader do uh, he came to the annual conference and the first thing he did was he danced an irish jig in front of about a thousand staff and that was just so unconventional they loved it they absolutely loved it and of course again they were then sitting on the edge of their chair to listen to this speech that followed so this takes me into the human side of why you need to be unconventional you're not a robot as a leader you know yes you're supposed to be consistent and give praise and all of the usual subjects but you've got to show you're human 
especially a near charismatic leader, you cannot be one unless you show your humanity, but also to be able to show a sense of fun keeps the tension level down and allows the individuals in the organization to rise up, be more productive, more creative. Yeah, I really love that part around showing your humanity because people look at leaders as idols sometimes that they're they always say and do the right thing and they're highly respected. Nobody should, you know, object. This is like the traditional conventional view of person has spent years of their lives uh, until they reach that leadership position. So they must know everything and they must be right all the time. I think being unconventional and making mistakes in the process sometimes shows that you're human you might make a judgment, but it might not be the right judgment. And you're willing to accept suggestions and ideas from different people at different levels of the organization. So I really love that idea about humanity. And I think part of being unconventional as well is showing part of your private life in a way that shows how you are balanced between your physical, your mental, your intellectual. And this also gives a good example for others as they follow you. So a really good example here comes to my mind is when I was doing my PhD in my university institute of education uh, 11 years ago, I witnessed uh, one of the uh, department leaders, you know, in his suit going into, you know, the corridor. And I was sitting in the main hall and then they came out with their cycling gear, full cycling gear, like really going on a race. And it was raining outside, you know how it is in London. <laughs> and they just had their suit on their backpack and they hopped on the bike and they cycled home. And upon asking other uh, peers, they said, yeah, they, they always do that. Cycles from home to work and from work to home. And it really hit me since then. I've been cycling regularly, <laughs> personally. It's part of their their private life was in display and it was very unconventional, especially in higher education. So I hope that our listeners uh, have uh, got the, uh, the gist of it. Yes, indeed. And what strikes me about that, though, is that if you're in a small entrepreneurial company, and obviously we'll get to that in our next episode, but if you're in a small entrepreneurial company, you're not surprised if the entire management team bikes to work. I mean, it's just it's just the craziness of, of life. If you're running a company with 50,000 people, it would be considered an amazing surprise. So we as individuals, as followers, also have this sort of expectation of our leaders to do certain things and and not to do certain things. So the fact that you do shake things up, I think is great. It It keeps people awake and paying attention to what you're doing. If you're attempting a really tough change in any organization, and it could be that you're generating it from the inside, or it could have been enforced upon you because of some big change or in the industry or government policy, for example, you've got to take people through that. And the more you can relate to them on that human basis, they're still going to be attracted to look at you because they, they want to see, oh, I wonder what's coming next. And keeping an attraction to the leader, provided it doesn't become sort of celebrity status, is very, very powerful. Yes, it is. I think it boils down to self-awareness of a leader, of what the choice is in the moment, self-awareness of how they are perceived and what is required from them to show so that their followers are influenced by them. And thus they influence the transformation of their organizations from one state to another. Indeed. I think it's extremely powerful. Yeah. 
Thank you very much for being with me today, Martin. And next episode, we'll talk about what you've just mentioned, entrepreneurs. And looking forward to our next episode. Yes, we'll see you next time. And thanks to all of our listeners. Bye-bye. Garda and Martin, hope you enjoyed this episode. There is more information available at neocharismaticleadership.org. And if you would like to discuss coaching or training for yourself or your team, you can contact Garda and Martin through the website. We look forward to your participation next week. Until then, goodbye.